Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stack. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Junior Doctor's Corner. I am so sorry it has been a month since I last posted an episode. How have you guys been? Um, I must admit that I haven't been quite on top of my game when it comes to the podcast, so apologies. I have been watching a fair bit of TV since I finished and passed my fellowship exams. What are you guys watching at the moment? Uh, Lately, I've been hooked on Umbrella Academy, which has fascinated me. Anyway, moving on to the actual episode. So uh, just a quick little intro for Dr. Maria Bolton. Now, this episode was actually recorded a couple of months back. So Dr. Maria Bolton actually very recently won the election and is the current AMA Queensland president. So congratulations, Maria. Very well deserved. And without further ado, I'm just going to let this episode speak for herself. Maria has some very valuable advice to share for those of you who are very interested in advocacy in medicine. Enjoy. Hi, Dr. Maria Bolton. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited. I'm excited to have you. So um, just in case our listeners are not familiar with who you are and what you do, can you please tell them a bit about yourself? So my name is uh, Maria Bolton. I'm a GP, been working as a GP for 20 years. I own my own practice with um, co-owner Dr. Fiona Rossetti, and I'm also involved in advocacy work, um, which uh, sometimes puts me in lots of meetings with governments and other peak bodies and uh, also in front of the media. And uh, I understand that you are also part of the AMA, um, well, AMA Queensland, a very um, prominent role, and also the um, AMA Council of GPs. Yeah, so I I serve many roles within AMA Queensland. I'm one of the board directors. I'm also the current chair of the Committee of General Practice. I'm also in the Governance Committee and in the Council and I'm also a member of the Federal Council of General Practice. So busy AMA person. Um, and uh, I've also held uh, leadership roles with the RSCGP, um, the Australian GP Alliance, and I'm also the current vice president of the Queensland Medical Women's Society. I was going to say, you, <laughs> you're a very busy woman. <laughs> and thank you so much for making the time to come onto the show. So can you please tell us, a little bit more about what led you to your career in advocacy and your current positions, you know, that you've mentioned, like what did that journey look like for you? Yeah. So I, um, I was born into a family of doers and um, I was born in El Salvador, Central America. I've been in Brisbane since I was 13 years of age. Uh, My grandmother in El Salvador was very much uh, involved in charity, charity work. And uh, my mum was also involved in charity work. We had a a very big earthquake in 86, 
where a lot of uh, people lost their homes. There were a lot, a lot of roads that were destroyed. Um, even the local orphanage was destroyed. And uh, my mum got um, the school teachers and all her friends and even the, the scouts group that we used to belong to together um, had them all organise these food and water hampers and then asked every friend that owned a four-wheel drive ute if they could deliver it. And um, I remember being in the car with both my parents um, going into all these um, very narrow, very um, landslidey roads delivering these food hampers. And um, so I've always, I, I've never been one to sit back and um, and let things happen and I've always been one to be involved. And um, and so when, um, when I came to Australia, um, I used to help out at the uh, local special school and um, I was very involved at school with um, with uh, Amnesty International and St Vincent de Paul, all those organisations. Um, then I became a GP. Um, I had um, children, so I was a bit quiet for a while, you know, looking after the kids and the the business. But um, once um, once my business started getting on, I started to realise that um, healthcare funding in Australia is at a critical standpoint uh we're getting to the point where if we want to continue to provide the quality services that we provide funding needs to improve uh, not just for general practice but also hospitals the entire system is actually crying out for for increased resources and and i i I felt really strongly about it and um, i started looking at peak bodies where i could do do a bit of work and um I came across uh, Dr. Melissa Naidu, who's one of my mentors. She said to me and my business partner, Fiona Rossetti, she said, you two have to become AMA Queensland Council members. Uh, there's an election coming up. She introduced us to the current president at the time, who was um, Dr. Dilip Dupelia, who was very encouraging. Uh, we both nominated for the elections and we both got in. And I found that um, AMA Queensland has been very supportive. Um, they're a very nimble, very responsive team that least listen to, to our concerns. And uh, and I found my journey with them um, really satisfying in that um, I've been able to raise issues and, and we've been able to work on them. So um, that's how I ended up in, um, in AMA Queensland. The other societies, um, RSCGP, it's my college, so... I decided to also nominate for leadership positions there and also fight for funding for general practice. And um, Queensland Medical Women's Society is like a warm cup of tea for me. It uh, just gives me the opportunity to connect with medical women of all experience levels, all ages, and um, and see what they're up to and uh, and try to find out what's happening in their, ne- their neck of the woods. So, for example, I've made a lot of friends that are either haematologists or emergency physicians, and I'm able to just have a chat to them and say, you know, what's happening? What's happening with you? And and, and what sort of needs are there in your area that um, that we can support with our advocacy work? So that's really interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to point, it at, point out, you're not the first person to have told your story of uh, how you ended up in leadership as you, the beginning often looks like someone tapping you on the shoulder and going, hey, I really think you should do this. So um, I guess it's it, it really is a matter of opening your eyes and ears to the opportunities. And secondly, I think it's amazing that, you know, instead of 
you could very much have just sat back and be like, I'm content with my life. I have a practice that is successful. I don't need, I'm already contributing to my, you know, local community, to my patients, you know, but you've gone and, and said, you know, what else can I do? What more can I do? And, and surely there's uh, some changes to be made to improve healthcare. So during the pandemic, you led the charge on tackling issues such as PP shortage in general practice. And I know that this is something that maybe some junior doctors who listen to this episode may not be able to relate to because most will um, have been working in hospital, but honestly, there were really bad shortages. Uh, trust me, I was I was there. And um, you essentially also helped improve access to COVID PCR testing for patients. Can you please share with us, how do you go about actually taking you know, tangible steps, like how did you even know where to start, you know, how to actually uh, make sure these issues are advocated for, A, and B, make sure that they actually have solutions to them? I'm a bit of a doomsday prepper. So when I, I was actually in hospital at the time when all these things about COVID started appearing in the media, it was February and I remember um, being on my hospital bed and scrolling through my phone and, and listening about and reading about COVID. And um, and I remember speaking with my business partner, Fiona, and thinking, you know, this is going to hit us and it's going to be bad and we're going to need to be able to protect our staff and our patients from, from this virus that we didn't really understand at the time. And um, and we started preparing and I thought, right, okay, let's let's have a look at PPE. How much do we need for the amount of staff that we have? And, um, you know, most general practices have a little bit of stock on site. Uh, if, if you're an accredited practice, you have to be uh, prepared for the seasonal flu. So most of us have some stock on site. But when I started doing the numbers in my head and thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going to need big quantities of, of masks, um, I started worrying and I started tapping our, our local suppliers who actually ran out um, at the time. And I, I sent my husband to Bunnings. I sent my brother-in-law to Bunnings um, just to find uh, masks. And, and then I started reading about what sort of masks you actually need. And at the time, there was a big debate whether we needed only surgical masks or whether we needed N95. And I guess like with any issue, um, the most important thing is to understand that issue and to know a little bit about it. And because we do fit testing at work for the coal mining industry, I'm quite familiar with what fit testing uh, means um, and what the difference was back then between an N95 and a surgical mask. So I, I very quickly realised we need N95s. And then I started thinking, okay, it's going to cost a lot of money, um, we couldn't get them at the time. Hand sanitizer was even hard to get and everybody was in the same position. So I thought, okay, uh, we are frontline. We are um, providing a health service. The government needs to step up and help us out. And um, and we, got, we continue to get turned down. So we kept being told, you're a private business. You need to find your own. And the response was, we're very small businesses. We don't have the buying power that... Um, government or large pharmacy chains have and uh, there's none to be found and even the government was having trouble sourcing N95 masks and um, so we I worked with AMA Queensland but I also decided that enough was enough I needed to go on the media because I wasn't getting anywhere 
So literally my first outing from the hospital was to tape a story for 7.30 ABC, and that was the 6th of March 2020. Um, It got us noticed uh it got a little bit of attention which was great and um I guess um that was really good except that it didn't really translate to all general practices or general practice staff receiving PPE so through my role with AMA Queensland I attend many meetings so hundreds of meetings through the pandemics uh with federal and um and state governments and at every meeting I would say we need PPE these are the reasons why this is how you facilitate it, and we need to keep our healthcare workers safe because if we don't, our doors will close and the hospitals will be inundated and um, our patients still need other services, right? They need to not only be looked after for COVID but for every other disease. And then we started hearing reports about uh, junior doctors not actually being able to access masks that they were fit-tested for. So... Um, We took that issue up as well with Asthma FQ, who helped us fight that issue. So it's actually affected all aspects of of healthcare. And um, eventually we got the news that the federal government was going to facilitate PPE for general practice, but the initial uh, offer was for GPs who were looking after COVID-positive patients. And our response was, anyone can have COVID. Um, Just because they don't have symptoms doesn't mean that they don't have COVID yet. Or um, they could have a, you know, they can be asymptomatic. And then towards Christmas 2020, they started hearing us and then they said, oh, yeah, you know, we'll supply it through the PHN, which was great. However, it's been very patchy. Um, the stuff that they've supplied doesn't always fit people. It's not the stuff that people have been fit tested on. Um, in March this year, they said um, we're going to face out the PPE supply for GP clinics. And uh, we advocated and we said, well, we're still in the pandemic. You still need to provide PPE and they've delayed that that deadline, which is great. But our next fight is to get people fit tested because GPs, GP staff don't have access to it like Queensland Health staff do. And those talks continue. But basically for me, it was was an issue that I understood, which is important. You need to understand an issue to be able to talk about it. It was an issue I was passionate about. I always kept in the back of my mind that above all, we need to protect every healthcare worker with the best possible protection. I never believed that handing out surgical masks for them was enough. Um, I always believed that we needed to do the utmost best until we knew exactly what this virus was. And, um, And that gave me the energy to just keep going. So it sounds like essentially it's if you don't first succeed, just try and try and try again until you get the outcome that you're after. Most definitely. And I guess when you're advocating on an issue, you have to have solutions as well. Um, You you can't just whinge about it. You have to actually provide a solution. You have to know what you're talking about and you have to know what's happening on the ground. So even to this day, I frequently ask for feedback about what's happening in other GP clinics. How's your access going to PPE? Um, and um, and making sure I feed that back to the to the federal department um, if people are having issues and uh, and it's by no means perfect. Um, it's there's still a lot to to be had. Um, when I see people working in hospitals, sometimes I see these really great quality N95 masks, and um, and some of the masks we've we've had are not are not the same quality. 
um, even though we're still, you know, providing the same frontline services that that other staff are. Yeah, absolutely. And so my next question to you, I guess, let's, uh, if we can please frame this in a way that junior doctors can use your tips and tricks to then advocate for or fix an issue within their community or their hospital system? Because often junior doctors feel quite powerless. They're Mm -hmm. pretty much at the bottom of the food chain, you know. So you mentioned knowing what the issue really is, you know, doing your um, reading and research and really understanding it, and then also really coming up with a solution and not just, um, you know, complaining about the issue alone. But where can they go next? Like as an individual junior doctor, if they are not in, say, uh, a leadership role in, in say, AMA or, or whatever um, organizations uh, there are available to them, who should they turn to, you know, um, what other ch- tangible steps can they take to as an individual? Uh, it really is issue dependent. So is there something that you can do? Like is there, can you pick up the phone and um, and start ringing around, which is what I did when I was trying. I tried to organise um, successfully in, in the end, but um, priority testing for COVID for GPs and staff and also um, non-hospital uh, private specialists and um, and basically I was inspired by somebody who'd actually just picked up the phone at the Gold Coast, rang the local pathology lab and said, can you provide the service? And they said, yes. So I thought, great, I'm going to ring them too and see whether I can organise the same for Brisbane. Then I rang every other pathology lab and I said, what can you offer us? There's this company that's offering this service at the Gold Coast what can you offer us given that um, we don't want our staff to be waiting for days for a result because we need them at work where they need to be. So sometimes it's just about just doing the legwork, picking up the phone, seeing how far you get. Um, sometimes with um, with issues though, and especially if you're a junior doctor and especially if it's an issue where you think that it might harm your chances with your training or your employment, if it's, if it's an issue where you feel that you will risk your neck by speaking out. You need a shield. So, and that's where a large organization can be your shield. That's where you can tap someone in, in an organization. And it depends what the issue is really to, to help you find somebody who will actually listen to you. So for example, um, in AMA, we have the, the council of the committee of doctors in training. Uh, but we've also got the different craft groups. And you can email all these people. Yeah, AMA may not may not hand you their personal emails, but if you email AMA, they'll direct it to the right person and someone will call you. That's a lovely thing about that. Um, also, say, say it's an issue that um, affects your workplace conditions and you're an employee, that's where someone like AsthmaFQ comes in. So bringing them and seeing what your options are there and seeing whether... For example, we reached out to them when I was a young intern in a hospital and uh, and they were quite helpful and, and uh, they helped us as a group. Also, um, say you're really passionate and you want to do some, you're not getting anywhere and you want to do some media work, um, that's great too. Um, I think a lot of people sometimes are a bit shy about doing media, but honestly, if you're, if you're passionate about an issue that you know a lot about, and uh, you feel that you're not getting anywhere, then finding a friendly journalist to speak to. And um, and as long as what you say is the truth, 
Um, and as long as you speak about what you know, uh, you're not likely to get into any trouble. But, um, yeah, so if you're a junior doctor, just think about what the issue is. Um, think about whether or not it's something that you can take on independently, whether it's something that you need a shield for, whether it's something that you need help for. Um, and the other thing about, I suppose, organisations is that we're, we're seeing this with the, um, with the pharmacy trial is that say you want to maybe put out a survey or do a media release or write a letter to your local member and you have no idea how to start, a lot of organisations have media or comms departments and, uh, and if you're a member of an organisation, you can, you can try and contact um, your organisation and see whether someone in the media department can give you a hand if you don't know where to start. That's a, that's a good, good spot to start, I think. That's a really good tip. I'm going to keep that in mind <laughs> for my future reference. Uh, do you have any other um, advice or any parting words of wisdom before we dive into our last question? I think it's just to be relentless. I think what what people sometimes don't see when an issue finally gets some traction or you get some action is the hours and hours and hours and hours of work that it takes to get there. And um, and also it's it's a lot of the time it's not just an individual fighting for an issue. You'll find that there'll be someone, say, for example, there's two doctors in the Gold Coast, um, Kat McLean and Tamara Warby, who have also been advocating really hard on PPE and fit testing. And, um, and it's really great to have their support. And we've actually reached to each other and said, oh, you know, great job on this interview and, and um, you know, what's happening with this and just, just being able to provide each other with support. But, um, you know, advocacy is time-consuming and, and it is tireless work and, I think you have to find the right organisation or the right group of people to support you. Mm. I think if you're not getting anywhere with where you're at, you're probably not in the right place. Mm. So you probably need to be doing it somewhere else. But, um, yeah, just finding finding the right supports for you and, and knowing that there's a lot of people who've gone before you who, who can point you to the right direction or give you some tips along the way that may make your life a lot easier as well. Thank you for sharing all that. Now, on to our last question. I do ask this of all my guest speakers. Can you please share with us one or two things that have kept you sane during these crazy times or past couple of years? Yes. And, and, you know, and I guess what I spoke about with the start of the pandemic was that rabbit hole of information that was so available and where do you stop, right? Where do you stop looking and, and where do you stop fighting? And I think that um, the right supports are essential. I think having the right people around you, getting help uh, from the bigger organisations to, to you know, with your correspondence or your media work or your surveys uh, so that things are easier for you. But also taking a break. I think that you can't, I mean, as a junior doctor, you can't work the long hours that you work and then, you know, a lot of the time you're working shift work, trying to exercise, trying to eat. Um, above all, you need to remain healthy, um, 
and you need to remain well because otherwise no one's going to be able to fight for that issue that you're fighting for and um, and making sure that that time that you have as a break is sacred. So turning your phone off, saying no to interviews at that time and uh, finding things that you enjoy, enjoy doing because you, it cannot be all work. Um, you have to you have to recharge, otherwise you burn out. And, you know, we've seen with this pandemic that every week something new crops up mm. um, every week. And, um, and so it's, it's a marathon, so you really have to have to look after yourself. And also remember why you're doing things, I think. I think you have to remember why you're working so hard. And, so for example, with the PPE, it was about helping healthcare workers stay safe and, um, and remembering that that was your number one motivation to do it in the beginning. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I think the, the busy times continue for us, yes. So um, I, have a, I have a really great trick if something bothers me when I'm driving home there's a bridge that I drive over and I give myself time to think about anything that might be in my mind, you know, maybe something happened during the day or maybe I'm preparing for an interview mm-hmm. and um, thinking things through and then I, I leave myself to that bridge. The minute I get to that bridge, that's it. Oh. Work thinking is over. So I have the, le- the rest of that drive home in peace mm-hmm. um, and I stop fretting about things that, you know, that I may have been fretting about um, and, and that just gives me a little bit of peace on the day, in the day, um, which, is, which has been really useful for me. Thank you for sharing those nuggets of wisdom. I'm, I'm going to use that. At, well, for me, I don't cross a bridge, but I'll pick a different landmark for myself. But, yeah, that's really great. Thank you so much for your time, Maria. That was really, really helpful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you really liked that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.